0: We continue our study in the book of Genesis this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 47. We'll begin reading in verse 28. Chapter 47, verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die, and he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me, bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he sware unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon his bed's head. And it came to pass, after these things... That, that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at, at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give thee this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the after the name of, of their brethren in their inheritance and as for me when i came from padan uh, rachel died by me in the in the land of canaan in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto ephra and i buried her there in the land of ephra and uh, ephrath and the same is bethlehem and israel beheld joseph's sons and said who are these and joseph said unto him unto his father they are my sons Whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim, dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, uh, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, The God which led me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, "'Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head.' And his father refused and said, "'I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations.' And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he said, Ephraim, before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Let's pray. Father, we ask today, today that you might give enablement to bring this message. I know, Lord, that it speaks about Jacob. When he was just about to die, he had some important things to say to his son. I pray that you might take this passage, Lord, and teach us some lessons uh, t- that we might learn, Lord, as, as we all need to know that we need to prepare to die because we never know when that might be. So help us today, Lord, to see these lessons, and I pray if there's somebody here who has not trusted Jesus as their Savior, they might realize, Lord, that life is not sure, uh, that tomorrow is not sure. The Bible says life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away, and uh, we, don't need, we should not uh, boast in tomorrow because we don't know what a tomorrow will bring or if it will come. So Lord, I pray that if there's one without Jesus, today they might realize is the day of salvation because there might not be a tomorrow for them. So work in their hearts and bring them to the Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about preparing to die. Preparing to die. Death is a fact of life. It happens all around us so that funeral homes have a constant supply of new customers. It seems like there's always somebody dying. Death is sad, but even though, but because it's so common, it's many times uh, joked about. And I re- want to read you some comments of things that sort of funny because people said these things about uh, referring to death. One is this, nothing improves a person's appearance as much as the photo that appears with the obituary. (laughs) I've seen that to be true. Drive carefully. Motorists can be recalled by their maker. An Alabama cemetery raised its burial charges and blamed it on the cost of living. Death and taxes are inevitable, but death is not a repeater another difference between death and taxes is that death is frequently painless taxes never are in preaching a funeral sermon a preacher made the following remarks we have here before us only the only the shell the nut is gone a man in louisiana explained why he refused to buy life insurance When I die, he said, I want it to be a sad day for everybody. (laughs) But really, death is no joking matter, is it? The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 and 2 says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. Yes, all of us will one day die unless we as believers are living at the time that Jesus returns for his church. But you know, no matter how long you live, life is still short when you compare it to eternity. If you live to be 100 years old, that's not much compared to forever and ever and ever. Jacob lived a long life. 147 years old, but the time came that he must die. The Bible says in verse 29 of chapter 47, and the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And my friend, when your time comes to die, you will die because the Bible says there's a time that you must die. In Deuteronomy 31, uh, the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Behold the day's approach that thou must die. In 1 Kings 2.1, we read this, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. Therefore, since we all must die, let's look this morning at Jacob's deathbed experience and observe some things that we should do when we are approaching death. And since we do not know when we're going to die, you know, it might be that you'll die as an older person or as a younger person, or as a middle-aged person, we don't know when we're going to die, so we should all take this to heart and uh, ask God to uh, apply our, help us to apply our hearts unto wisdom because of, of the fact that we're going to die. In the last verses of chapter 47 that we read this morning, Jacob seemed to know that he was approaching death. So he called Joseph to come, and he made some final arrangements concerning his burial. Then in chapter 48, we find that some time has passed by and uh, Joseph hears that Jacob is sick and so he goes to see his dad before he dies. Now his dad had had time to think about this. He knew he was dying. He knew it was getting close. He knew he was now sick and it might be that this sickness would take him. So he had thought out, thought out what he was going to say and what he was going to do. And so from his actions, we can, we can gain some instructions for us to know what to do when we're preparing to die. And really, we should be preparing to die because we don't know when that will be. But here are some things I learned from this passage that Jacob, about Jacob's dying. First of all, we should express our faith in God. Now, I'm speaking mostly to Christians today, and so we're talking about preparing to die. What should you do to prepare to die? Well, you should express your faith in God. We find that in Jacob. Jacob made it clear in his conversations to Joseph that he believed in and trusted God. He was a man of faith. Look at his conversation. You know, he could have talked about a lot of things. He could have talked about his experiences uh, with Laban. He could have talked about all of those things and his fear of Esau. And He could have talked about a lot of things. But he talked about the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 3 that he said, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me. God Almighty, he says. In verse 11, notice what it says. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. He gives the credit to God. God has showed me thy seed. Look at verse 15. And uh, it says... And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long until this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. He's talking about God. And so he mentions God all of these times because he was a man who trusted the Lord. His faith was in God. I wonder after we die, are our children and grandchildren, are are they going to remember a person who trusted God? Are they going to remember a person who talked about the Lord? Are they going to remember a person who showed his faith? How do we show our faith? Well, we show our faith through church attendance. We show our faith through our prayer life. We show our faith through our Bible reading. We show our faith through talking about the Lord and giving to the Lord and living for Jesus and saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. We show our faith by the way we speak, our speech, our talk, and uh, the things we talk about We show our faith. When we die, are people going to remember us as a person of faith? We look at Jacob, and these are his last days, and he knows it's his last days. And what he wants to talk to his son about is he wants to tell him about what God has done for him. And he mentions God several times. Will there be any questions about your faith when you die? Are people going to have to stand around and say, well, I think I remember when they trusted Jesus, Somebody told me one time they remember when they went forward in church. Are they going to have to have that kind of conversation? I've heard that a lot of times. I've had people just searching for something that would give them hope. And uh, sometimes I've been the one to supply that hope, even though it was cautious on my part. And I would say, yes, I remember when. But whether the person was really saved or not, we don't know. But their life seems to show whether they were or not. And if all you can think of is a past experience, but there's been no life of faith, then it makes people wonder were they really saved or not. As as we prepare to die, and all of us should be, we should make sure that people, especially our children and grandchildren, remember us as a person of faith. And so he expressed his faith in God. He also expressed his thankfulness to God. Jacob was thankful for his salvation. Look at verse 3 of chapter 48. And Jacob said to Joseph God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. You remember that that time when he appeared to him that was when he had the ladder dream. He saw the ladder coming down out of out, out of heaven. It seems that he met the Lord that day and when he's talking to Joseph he he mentions that. He's thankful for the time that the Lord met him and uh that the Lord uh, spoke to him that day and uh I was just wondering, do your children know your your testimony? Do your grandchildren know your testimony? As I was preparing this message, it spoke to me as well. And I thought, I'm going to have to be more conscious about uh, mentioning these things. I'm going to have to make sure that all my grandkids know that uh, uh, when I got saved, and how I got saved, sometimes I've had one of them with me in the car and we were... I remember a couple of times we drove through Xenia and I told him, I intentionally drove past the church where I got saved and I told him about it. But we need to do that. We need to make sure that our children and grandchildren know that we are a person of faith and we can tell them when we got saved. Jacob reminded Joseph when he met the Lord and so he brought that to him. He was thankful for that. Jacob was thankful for God's promises and he told Joseph about that. He said, In verse 4, he said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful. God said unto me, I will make thee fruitful. He said unto me that he he would make me a multitude of people and that he would give this land to to my seed after me. He promised that. God promised that. And so Jacob was thankful for the promises of the Lord. We need to be thankful people. Jacob was thankful for God's blessings. He reiterated some of the blessings that the Lord gave him. He said, first of all, that he allowed me to see you, Joseph. I mean, all those years, you were away from me. And I, I, I never thought it would happen, but I got to see you. And at that time, he's been with Joseph for 17 years. The first 17 years, Joseph took or Jacob took care of Joseph. This last 17 years, Joseph took care of Jacob. But uh, he's had that experience, so he thanks the Lord for that. He thanked the Lord for that, that, that he allowed him to see Joseph's seed, verse 11 tells us. He said, now I've seen your seed as well, your sons, and I'm so glad for that. He's thankful. He's thankful that God fed him all his life until this day. Look at verse 15. And uh, I want to point out something in verse 15. It says, and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long until this day. God fed me all my life long. Some translations translate that shepherd me. And the Hebrew word there is the word from which we get shepherd. And it's really the first time that God is referred to in the Bible as a shepherd. And we know he's our shepherd. The Bible says in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know the passage. And so the Lord is our shepherd. And he says, I thank the Lord that he, he shepherded me, he fed me all my life up until this day. And he's, he's getting ready to die. He's 147 years old. Now, everybody here that knows Jesus as their Savior should be able to give that testimony. You might sit down sometimes and tell your kids about the hard times. You might tell them about the times that you didn't have much to eat and, you know, you wonder where the next meal was going to come from. But you should always follow that by saying, but God provided. I mean, I look out today and God's provided for all of you. Uh, I don't think anybody here is starving. And uh, I don't believe anybody here has uh, missed many meals. We're all healthy. We're all fine. And we're different ages. But we can, one thing we can say, up to this time in our life, God has been faithful. God has fed me. God has shepherded me all the way. Yes, I came through hard times, but God brought me through that and provided for me all the way. And so he thanked God that God had fed him all the time up, until his la- up to that time in his life. And God had always been faithful. We have the promise of Scripture, Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And God has done that for us. And Jacob is being thankful. He's expressing his thanks to God. He's also expressing his thanks to God that God had redeemed him from all evil. That means he protected him. He had redeemed him from all evil. And Jacob had been through a lot of evil, a lot of evil times. You remember when he talked to Pharaoh, he says, my days have been full of evil, which means hard times. But now talking to Joseph, he says, God's been good to me. He's, been, he's blessed me, and he's taken me through all this. He's protected me through all that, all that I've gone through in my life. Isn't that true of us? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so God has been faithful to us and we should be thankful for that. And our children should know that we've been thankful for that. We should tell them that God has taken care of us all these years and he's protected me. I've been through a lot of close calls. I've been through some really hard times, but God has protected me. And as we prepare to die, we need to make sure that those who love us know about our faith in the Lord and our thankfulness to Him. He also thanked God that God had given him a godly heritage. He says in verse 15, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. He looked back and he said, I had a godly granddad and I had a godly dad. If you have a godly parents or godly grandparents, you need to be thankful for that. You need to be thankful, and you need to tell your children you're thankful. You should remind them they have a great heritage, that God has blessed them in so many ways. I've said many times about the heritage I have and how my mom and dad were so, uh, so instrumental in, what, in, 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 in uh, raising me and uh, how they kept me from a lot of evil things and how God blessed, blessed me through them. And I thank the Lord for them, and I praise the Lord for them, and I brag on them quite often. Why do I do that? Because I am thankful for that. And if you have a godly heritage, you should be thankful and you should let your children know that that you're thankful. You know, if you don't have a godly heritage, you're, you're providing one for your children. If you know Jesus as your Savior. So they can look back one day and say, thank the Lord that my mom and dad served the Lord, brought me to church, and all those things. Be thankful. And Jacob was thankful. We need to let our family know that we're thankful for our salvation, we're thankful for God's promises, and we're thankful for God's blessings to us. Do not allow yourself to become grumpy and unthankful and just a hard-to-get-along-with old person. Have you met those? I don't think we have any here today, but I don't know you as well as your family does. (laughs) Maybe your family thinks you're grumpy and unthankful. We should not be that because we as Christians have so much to be thankful for. We are, be- we are blessed and the best is yet to come. And we should be on, on the winning side and people should know that and we should be thankful and our children should know that we're thankful. Also, another way to prepare to, to die, to preparing for death, is not only to, be, to express our faith in God and our thankfulness to God, but also express our hope Because of God. You see, Jacob had a hope. And uh, we see that when he mentions being buried. He expressed that he, he desired to be buried in Canaan. He was demonstrating his faith in the Lord that God would one day bring his people back to the land of Canaan and give them that land. But in addition to that, and it's not read in the text, but we see it in the book of Hebrews. And if you'll turn with me there to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll refer to Hebrews a couple of times, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, tells us something else about about Jacob. It was true of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When Jacob made his request to be buried back in the land of Canaan, he was not only expressing, I think, his, his desire to be back there because God was going to give that land to his people. He also, I think, was expressing his belief in the resurrection that he was going to be alive again and he was going to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. And this passage in Hebrews tells us that he was looking for something past this, this, this land, past this earth. And that, he, that he, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth for they say that they see, that they say such. For they that say such things desire plainly that they seek a country. And verse sixteen, but now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Jacob was looking for a heavenly city in a heavenly land, and he had that wonderful hope, and uh, I think his his children knew about that. They knew about this hope that he had out there in the future. Uh, You know, Jacob didn't know much about what he was talking about in in chapter 11 of Hebrews. The Bible tells us in Hebrews they looked for that city, but he didn't know much about it, but we do. We know a lot about it. In fact, the Bible tells us a lot of details about that place. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, and I'll remind you of some of those things. Do we look for that city? Yes, we do. we know anything about that city? Oh, a lot more than Jacob knew. And Jacob had this hope for that, and we should have even a greater hope because we have uh, details that God has given us about that city. In, In Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. That's the city. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then we'll skip down to verse nine, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, "Come hither, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife." And he cra- carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto the stone most precious, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and and at, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of twelve tribes of children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the, and the wall thereof, and the city lie four square, that means it's cube, and the length of it and the breadth of it was measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. It's over 1,400, close to 1,500 square miles. That's how big the city is. Now, cube miles, uh, long, wide, and high. That's how, how, how large it is. So we know so many more details about this city than, than Jacob did. Verse 18, And the building of the wall of it was jasper, and the city was pure gold likened to a clear glass, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And he lists the stones there. And, uh, and in verse 21 says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every gate was one pearl, and the, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Wow, what details. We know that. Do your children know that? Do your grandchildren know that? Do they know that you have this hope of this wonderful place someday you're going to go? Do they know that you're looking forward to going to heaven? Do you ever talk about it? Do you ever talk about heaven to them? Well, Jacob had a wonderful hope that he was going to be with the Lord someday, and uh, he expressed that hope. Jacob also was hopeful about his son's future. In verse 21, he says, Behold, I die. But God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. I'm going to die, but when I die, uh, God's going to still take care of you. And we need to convey to our children, our grandchildren, that they can trust the same God that we trust. The one who's been faithful to us all these years will be faithful to them. And we know they're in good hands. We don't have to wring our hands and say, oh, I don't know how you're going to survive in this old wicked world the same way we've always survived in this whole wicked world, and that is trusting Jesus. And the Lord can help you, and the Lord will be with you. And so he was hopeful about his son. Be assured that Joseph had 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 uh, gotten this from the Lord. He had called to the Lord, and uh, he had talked to the Lord, and he knew these things, and God had promised it to them. And God, he knew that God would protect Joseph. He knew that God would provide for Joseph. He knew God would take care of Joseph just like he had taken care of him. And so he had a wonderful hope. So as we prepare to die, we need to express our faith in the Lord. We need to express our thankfulness to the Lord. We need to express our hope because of the Lord. But then there's one last thing I want to note. And that is, as we prepare to die, we should make final arrangements which honor the Lord. We should make final arrangements which honor God. Now Jacob blessed Joseph by adopting his two sons. Now this was some of his arrangements that he was making and he actually adopts the two sons of Joseph as his very own. Notice verse 15. And he says and he blessed Joseph and he said you know God has been with me, God has taken care of me, God's been my shepherd God's taken care of me and uh, and then it says, and bless the lads. So in blessing Joseph, what he was doing, he was blessing Joseph by blessing his sons. And how was he going to bless his sons? Well, the Bible says in verse 5, he said to, it said to Joseph, now, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Now Reuben and Simeon were his first two sons firstborn sons. Reuben firstborn, Simeon second. Joseph's two sons were Manasseh and Ephraim in that order. And so he says, I'm going to bless, uh, they're going to be my sons just like uh, Reuben and Simeon are my sons. And so he actually adopts them as his sons. Look at verse 16. Let my name be named on them and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now Jacob was directed by God to do what he's doing. Now the way I know that is that Jacob was told by God to do what he did is because in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21 there's one thing that is mentioned about Jacob that attests his faith in the Lord. And it says this, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Now, if he blessed them by faith, God had to tell him to do it. Because the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So when you do something by faith, you're, reacting, you're, you're responding to what God said, and you believe it. And God told Jacob to do this, And so he does it. He adopts these sons. Now, when this happened, when he tells him this, the Bible says in verses 8 to 10 that Jacob kissed and embraced Joseph's uh, sons. He said, who are these boys? He couldn't see. And he said, these are my sons. He had just blessed them because he knew their names, but he said, these are my sons. So he said, bring them here to me. And so he brought them to him, and he hugged them, and he kissed them. And then the Bible tells us in verse 12 that Joseph removes his sons from between Jacob's knees. He removes them over here, and he himself gets in front of his dad, and he bows down with his face to the ground. And uh, he's in reverence to his dad and, and, and thanks to the Lord for all that he had. He was thanking the Lord, and he was worshiping the Lord there. And then he got up, and he brought his sons back in front of Jacob. And he did this. He said that, uh, here's Joseph, he's standing there, and he has Ephraim on his right hand, and Manasseh on his left. Now Manasseh's the firstborn. And so, when Jacob is facing him, then Manasseh will be on Jacob's right, and Ephraim on his left. That's the way it should be, because the firstborn was blessed with the right hand, and the other one with with the left hand. But Jacob changed it. And Jacob crossed his hands like this. And he put his right hand on, on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh's head. And he blessed them. Joseph got upset. And he saw, well, this isn't right. He's supposed to have his right hand on the firstborn. And so he took hold his dad's hand and he started to lift him up. And he said, no, no, dad. He said, uh, Uh, Manasseh is the firstborn, and Ephraim is is second. And and Jacob said this, I know it, I know it, but I know what I'm doing. In other words, God had told him to do this. And he says, Manasseh will be great, but his brother Ephraim, the secondborn, will be the greatest. And so we always say Ephraim and Manasseh. We don't say Manasseh and Ephraim. It's Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, God was having him do this for a reason. You see, God can look in the future, and God knows everything. And God knew, and Jacob didn't know this yet, God knew that the tribe of Levi would not receive an inheritance of land because they were the priestly tribe. They had some cities, but God said that he was their inheritance. And so they did not receive an allotment of land. Joseph is not mentioned when it talks about the tribes. We don't read about a tribe of Joseph. But what do we read? We read about a tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. So if you take Joseph away and you take Levi away, that leaves ten. But when, when he adopted Ephraim and Manasseh, then that gave the two back. And so now there's 12 tribes and you don't read as the 12 tribes who have inheritance in the land. You don't read of Levi because Levi served as a priesthood and he didn't have an allotment of land. But you read of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so that makes the 12 tribes. And so God knew what he was doing and God was directing uh, Jacob as he did this. God was intervening to make sure that his will Came about. Now, we need to remember something. Sometimes you read this passage and you think about Jacob standing here and he's doing this and uh, these little boys are there in front of him and he's blessing them, but that's not the way it was. Because at this time, Ephraim and Manasseh were probably in their early 20s. They were grown men. And then you remember something else. Ephraim and Manasseh didn't grow up in Goshen. Ephraim and Manasseh didn't grow up in Canaan. Ephraim and Manasseh grew up in the royal palace of Joseph, the second ruler in the kingdom. They were used to the fine things of life. And here is this old man who's a shepherd blessing these young young men. And uh, he is actually blessing them in a way that maybe they didn't understand at the time. And that is, he was giving them the privilege of being the heads of two tribes of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, through whom God was going to bring the Messiah. They didn't know all that, but they had a choice. He had just adopted them, I mean, truly adopted them as his own sons, and so they would carry his name and they would be considered one of his sons And because uh, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, They were grandsons. They weren't sons, but they were considered as sons because he adopted them. And when he did that, uh, they had a choice to make. And that is, are they going to continue with Egypt, or are they going to identify with God's people? You know, it reminds you of the choice that Moses had. In the book of Hebrews, we read about that. And it says in, in chapter 11, verse 24, a political home. They grew up in a palace probably. They grew up with all this this worldly things that they could want. And yet now they're to identify with an old shepherd guy and become one of his sons. And uh, do they choose to go along with that or not? Evidently they chose to. Because we notice that Later, when the children of Israel go out of the land, it's all of them go, and Ephraim and Manasseh go out as well. But they identify with God's people. You know, many times people are faced with that kind of decision. Should I stay in this with these people, and they have all the political clout, or they have all the, you know, they're known for someone. Should I identify with these, or should I still identify with God's people? A lot of young people face that. They go, into a, they go to, to a gospel-preaching church, and then they go off to college. Really, that's one of the worst things you can do is send a kid to college, uh, to a state college. I know some of them survive, but you have to really pray hard for them when they do because they are intent on in tearing down the faith of that child. So that child has to determine, are we going to continue to identify with God's people and continue to go to church, those humble people? Are we going to continue to do that? Or are we going to just get with the world's crowd and go the way they're going to go? And a lot of young people, uh, when they leave home and they leave the church, they don't come back because they have, a, they have identified with the world and that's where they want to be. Ephraim and Manasseh were faced with that choice and I believe they probably made the right choice. So he adopted them as his sons. But then he did something else in his final preparations. He did what God wanted him to do. That was adopt these. Now, you have things that God wants you to do, and you know God wants you to do it. Before you die, you're going to do it. (laughs) Jacob decided he was going to do it. Another thing he did was he had a a piece of land that he had conquered from the Amorites and with his own bow and sword. So he had fought and, and acquired this land, and he gave that to Joseph. It was a possession that he he treasured. God helped him do this, and he treasured that. And it was in the land of Canaan. He was living in Egypt. There's a piece of land I own in that promised land. I want to give it to you, Joseph. You know, when we prepare to die, there's some things that we have that we should decide we're going to give to our kids. I mean, things that are valuable. Doesn't mean it has to be materially valuable, but it's valuable in other ways. I probably told you this, but I remember one day, uh, years ago, my wife and I were traveling. We were down in, I think it was North Carolina, and we stopped at a yard sale. And there was this book there. It looked like a Bible. And this guy was selling his dad's things. And I picked it up and looked through it. It wasn't a Bible. It was bound like a Bible, but it was full of his dad's sermons, all written out, and he was selling it at a yard sale. I bought it. (laughs) I bought it. I've never used any of the messages, but I thought it was interesting. And I read some of those and thought, this guy knew the Lord. I mean, he preached the word. And why would a son not value that? He should value that. I think I have some things that are valuable that I want to leave to my children. And some of them will be, you know, material things. They won't, it won't be money, but it'll be some things, you know. But I also have some other things. I have file after file after file of of sermons preached over over 40 years. And uh, I think those are valuable to me because there's a whole lot of hours of preparation that's gone into that. And I don't just want to throw them in the fire. I want to pass them on. But what do you have that's valuable? You know, one of the most valuable things we have to pass on to our kids is for them to know our testimony them to know our faith in the Lord, them to know things that we treasure and we value. Maybe it's a Bible that you've used for years that you want to pass on to a child, but he passed on something that was valuable to him, to his son. But then there's one last thing. He made preparations for his burial. In chapter 47, he calls Joseph in. He said, Joseph, I want you to swear to me and put your hand under my thigh. It was a way of... of, a solemn swearing to do that. And he said, I want you to swear to me that you'll not bury me in Egypt. This is where I'm at. I've been, I've been here for 17 years, but don't bury me in Egypt. I want to be buried back in Canaan. And I want to be buried uh, in Canaan where I have this plot, where uh, or my family has this plot. And he said it's in the cave, That's in the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought from the children of, Ge- of Heth. And he said, and we find in chapter 49, that he says, there in that place, in that burial place, is buried Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and my wife Leah. They're buried there. That's where I want to be buried. I think he was saying that for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's in the land of Canaan. And I believe God's going to bless us, our people and take us out of here. We won't be in Egypt. I don't want my body to be in Egypt. I want it to be in Canaan. But I also believe that he wanted his, his funeral to be there away from Egypt and all of its pagan, and, uh, pagan influences. I believe he wanted to assure that there was no pagan things in his ceremony. That they would be back in the land of Canaan and they would do, do it in the right way and they would honor God. He wanted that to happen. And why do I bring all that up? Well, we're preparing to die, all of us. And one preparation we should make is final preparations for our funeral. Now, I don't have all those pro- final preparations for my funeral, I'm, so I, I need the message too. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, important things. I've gone to funerals sometimes and conducted funerals where I, I was just I was amazed. And not in the good way, the bad way, about what these people did. I've been to funerals where they played songs about drinking. They played songs about a bottle of beer. And I think, goodness, what why would you do that? Well, probably because the person they're burying, that was their life. But we as Christians should be different. We should be concerned about the music that's played or sung at our funeral. We should be concerned that it honors God, that it's a message that there's a message in that song that brings glory to the Lord. We should be concerned and let it be known that our our kids when they if they do brag on us that they give God the glory. if they say good things about us, that's fine, and that's that's always good. but make sure you give God the glory. He's this way because God saved him and uh We need to make sure of that. Another thing you need to make sure of when you're preparing your your final service is you need to make sure the gospel is preached. I like it when somebody asks me to preach the funeral and they say, "What one thing mom wanted wanted to do is she wanted to make sure that you presented the gospel. Well, you don't have to worry about that. I always do. I don't care whether they want it or not. I do it. (laughs) I always give the gospel. And I hate to go to a funeral where the, the message is preached and you think the way to get to heaven is to die. I mean, it's just nothing mentioned about how you get to the heaven. I've been to some good gospel preaching men who, who's had the funeral and they, they fail to mention how these people could get to heaven. And they don't mean to do it that way. They don't mean to leave that out. It's just they're so used to preaching to God's people, you know, that they didn't think about it. But I always try to make sure that I tell people out there, you know, someday you're going to die. And someday you're going to go out into eternity. The way to get to heaven is, and I'll present the gospel, and you personally must trust Jesus as your Savior, you're going to get to heaven. You, want, you need to, as God's people, you need to make sure that it's known when, you, when your, your funeral service is given, that whoever preaches the funeral service, make sure they present the gospel. And so I believe we should be like uh, Jacob was, and that is make final preparations because that day is coming. I might have some of your funerals in the next few weeks. You might attend mine in the next few weeks. We don't know, do we? But we need to make sure that that we leave things in order so that once we're gone, the Lord will be honored through our life, through our testimony, and even through our final service. So preparing to die, here are the things that we should do. Express our faith in God. Express our thankfulness to God for his goodness to us. Express our hope because of God. And make sure that our final arrangements honor God. There was a man in the Bible who gave us his statement before he died, and his name was Paul. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is, is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me that, at that day, and not to me only, but to, unto all them also which love, who love his appearing. So Paul said, I'm ready to die. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. And God has a reward. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about a crown the Lord's going to give him. Because he loved the Lord's appearing. And he lived for Jesus. May God help us to live for him. And may the day when the day comes that we die, may our life that's spoken about honor the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask today that you might... Speak to our hearts about these important things. Lord, we're going to die someday, unless we're alive when Jesus comes back. And I pray that we might think about that, and we might make the preparations necessary. But most of all, Lord, that we might live for you, so that others see Jesus in us. We pray in his name. Amen.